a subject that we have brought together we, that we thought hopefully will be of some relevance to the circumstances that we currently find ourselves in. And we're going to be looking at the subject of mothers of faith. Now, when we think about mothers, uh, I suppose we think various different thoughts, don't we? Because we've all had mothers and we all have, have, have had mothers at some point and we have beautiful feelings often about them. We think about things like nurturing and at the moment when I think about a mother, I think about Jess Lawson with her beautiful new little baby Isla when we went and visited her the other night and she just loves that little baby and doesn't every mother love a beautiful new little baby? And mothers are just so wrapped up in the welfare and love they have for their children. They are self-sacrificing, aren't they, to the nth degree. They have an unconditional love for their children and they will support them in anything that they need. And mothers have endurance too, don't they? They seem to be able to just push through and keep pushing through and they're fiercely protective of their kids. They love their children and they'll do anything for them and if anyone stands in front of them, they will protect them. Mothers are resourceful as well, aren't they? And they're hardworking. They rise usually before anyone else and they go to bed late doing duties after the kids have long since gone to sleep. And the thing that they want most, isn't, isn't it, is they want the best for their families and for their children. And for them, that is all they care about. And I think that probably for me, and I'm sure there's many other people sitting here tonight who would, who would agree that over the last couple of months, we've experienced all of that in the families and the houses that we live in. And in the current crisis, mothers and wives, I think, have risen to the task that's been put in front of them. They do everything, don't they, to feed us. And they adapt, and they have adapted so quickly with all the circumstances that have come upon them in the last couple of months of changing schools and changing conditions for their homes. And it's been the mothers, probably principally, in the homes who have adapted to that and they've protected their family and we've seen in mothers I've seen the mother in my household at the supermarket battling the other the other mothers in the store to get the things that she needs to protect her family and the overwhelming principle in all of that isn't it is love for their families and the need to want to support them and so we've been given a first-class exhortation, all of us, many of us, in the homes that we have lived in just in the last couple of months. And God willing, what we want to do over the course of this weekend is look at four mothers in the scripture and take a look at what made these mothers, what drove these mothers. And we're going to see a lot of those characteristics that we've touched on briefly in our introduction. We're going to see them um, come out in these three women, in these four women. And the interesting thing is, is that they're all from different times, these women. 
We'll look at Sarah. We're going to look at Rahab. We're going to look at Hannah. And we're going to look at Mary. All of these four women are from different times and different circumstances. And they faced different challenges and different trials that came upon their life and different difficulties. But they are linked, all of these four women, and hopefully we'll see ourselves linked in these stories as well. They are linked by the common thread of their faith in their God. And we're going to see this faith grow in those women despite their different circumstances and different times that they live in. And this faith that will grow in them was the thing that came to define them more than anything else. And then once it defined them, it drove them into action for their families and for everyone else that they came in contact with. And all of us can learn from that, can't we? All of us hopefully can learn from the faith developed in these four women that we can apply to our own personal circumstances and the circumstances of our family life. Now tonight we're briefly going to look at the wonderful woman Sarah in the record and we're going to try and do a sweeping look at this woman and how she fits in the record and particularly how she grows her faith and hopefully we can see in this record some things that will jump out at us personally about growing our own personal faith in the circumstances that we find. Now, we first meet Sarah in Genesis chapter 11. And this record of her life and the life of her husband, Abraham, is a full record. It's an extensive record of all these things that happen to these people, this beautiful couple. But what we find when when we look at this woman, Sarah, is that she is there with Abraham right from the very beginning of this story. If you look at verse 29 of Genesis chapter 11, it says this, and, a, and, sorry, and Abram and Nahor took them wives. And the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Issachar. So we meet Sarah and Abraham here in the land of Ur. And we read that Sarah is right there in the beginning of this story. And what we find, I think, when you think about the, the record of Genesis, particularly these early chapters about Abraham and about Sarah, quite often the life of Sarah is overshadowed by Abraham. And when we think about chapters like chapter 12 and 13, because they contain some of the first principles and such important um, promises given to all of us, the record can be overshadowed by this man Abraham. But do you know what? Sarah is always there. She is constantly in this story, always with this man, Abraham. And so we find when we read in Genesis chapter 11 there, when they first got the call to leave Ur and travel to this strange place which they didn't know in the land of Canaan, Sarah was there with Abraham. And she was called with him to go to this strange land. It wasn't just Abraham that was called. Abraham, Sarah was called to leave everything that she had known as well. And she was 65 
She's about halfway through what her life of 127 years were. And she'd lived all those 65 years in that land of Ur. And that's all she knew. And she had family there. And she'd grown up and gone to school there. And she'd worshipped the gods that were there. And she had the customs that were associated with that place. And so for her to leave Ur, her call was as great as Abraham's was, wasn't it? In fact, maybe it was even greater. Because when you think about Abraham, part of his family answered the call and went with him. But Sarah, she only had part of her family there. And perhaps she had to leave the other part of her family behind. And so she embarks on this moment and this journey together with Abraham. And every part of this journey they did together. They were called together. And they were given these promises together. And they would have talked about these promises together and what they meant for their family and for their future. And they would encounter on this road and the road when they got there, they would encounter difficulties that they would have to face together. And they would learn to grow in family life together. And there's that beautiful picture, isn't it, in Genesis chapter 18, where they were preparing that meal together when that, those angels came and visited them. And we have a picture there of what this couple was like and how they worked together. And finally, they grew in faith together. And that's what this story is about, ultimately. It's about how the faith and trust in God grew in this couple together. And then finally, in Genesis chapter 25, we read that they were buried together in that hope that they'd come to trust in. And they still lie there in that cave of Machpelah, awaiting the resurrection. See, this story is not just a story about one man who was called. This story in Genesis is a story about companionship. It's a story about partnership. It's a story about going through ups and downs of life together and holding on to our faith. And many of us who are listening here tonight have partners that God has given to us to share that road. And if we don't have partners, we have friends or companions that God has given us for the spot that we are in our journey. And it might be our family or our brother or our sister. And God has also given us our ecclesial family that are all here tonight in different places. And he's given us that family and those companions that we might embark upon this journey of faith together. And that's what this story teaches us, that this journey of faith is so important to be walked together. And these two individuals helped each other on that road. They were companions together walking. Because the road was not always nice. In fact, it was often difficult. And almost straight away when they embark upon this journey, they discover that there is trouble that comes upon them. They embark in Genesis chapter 12. They leave Ur and they get to... Um, the land of Canaan. And almost as soon as they arrive in the land of Canaan, there's this enormous severe famine which hits that land. 
Now, you would have thought, wouldn't you, that God, who had called Abraham and Sarah to leave and go on this enormous journey to come to the land of Canaan, that when he got there, he would have made things easy. But as soon as they get there, there's a severe famine. And Abraham has to make, as the head of this household, some choices as to what he's going to do. And in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 12, it says, And Abraham journeyed going toward the south. So in his distress, and it was a real distress, it says that the famine was grievous in the land. This is not just some small little famine. This is the whole of his livestock, all of his family are in trouble. And Abraham makes the decision, and it turned out to be a poor one, to go down to Egypt, hoping that it might be easier down there. Now, as he's about to embark down and go into Egypt, he speaks to his wife about a plan that he has that he wants to give to her as they're going down. And he says in verse uh, 10, sorry, verse 11 of Genesis chapter 12, And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said to Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a a fair woman to look upon. So Abraham says, just as he's about to get down into Egypt, he stops, they stop on the road and he says to his wife Sarah, Now I know, Sarah, that you are an extremely beautiful woman. And she must have been a remarkable looking woman. Because anywhere that Sarah seems to go in this record, she is attracted by the men in that particular region. There must have been something completely stunning about her. That word um, fair means bright or sparkling. And there was something about Sarah that just instantly captured people's attention. And I perhaps think that it wasn't even just her beautiful looks, but she must have had a magnetic personality. And Abraham knew it. And he knew as he was going down into Egypt that that would attract people to her. And he was worried, not for her so much, but for his own safety. And so he comes up with this plan. And we know that the plan is all about him, really, in verse 12 and 13, because look what it says. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, "This, this is his wife, and they will kill me. And they will save you alive. Say then, I pray you, that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and my soul shall may live because of you. So Abraham, in this plan, is thinking really only of himself, to protect himself. And it was a see the, the man Abraham wasn't. We get this from the record. He wasn't naturally a brave man. And in the, in the face of fear here, he crumbles in this bad decision that he makes. It was a bad choice. And I think that's a little bit of a, a, a male trait, perhaps, that comes out in this story. Often it's the man who, because of fear or because of pride, maybe, in a particular circumstances, he makes a bad decision a bad call for him and his family. And it's often the woman, isn't it, that's left to fix it up. The one that she has to deal with the fallout of the problem because of the bad choices that the husband has made. And so Sarah has to deal with it in this particular circumstance. And she's thrust into the house of Pharaoh. In verse 15 it says, 
And the princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commanded her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So Abraham was right. As soon as these men saw this woman walk into the city down in Egypt, they were amazed by her. And they took her to the ruler of the entire land. That's how beautiful she was. And you imagine what it was like for Sarah as she's ripped away from her family and taken away from her husband, all because of her husband's poor choice. And she's taken into that palace and she's given a room there in that palace and she lies in that bed. You imagine how daunting that would have been for this woman who's come all this way on this journey. But of course God moves, doesn't he, in this circumstance to protect this woman and, she, and he comes to them in verse 17 and it says, And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. So God delivered and protected her from this, this circumstance. And Pharaoh, once he finds out about this, he's obviously annoyed at Abraham, but he then sends Abraham away with his wife and all his things. And they collect all their things and they move out of Egypt, this terrible decision that they've made, and they head back up into the land of Canaan. And look what it says in verse 3. And Abraham went out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, and they went up into the south. That's a beautiful verse, isn't it? Particularly after what had happened to this woman. You see, Sarah had every right, didn't she? Or could have stood on her rights and said, How dare you, Abraham, have done what you did to me? But one of the characteristics, the beautiful characteristics about this woman, Sarah, is that she is loyal to her husband. She loves him with a deep love. And even in his poor choices that he makes and in his imperfections, she's able to see through that and deal with that and remain loyal to him in all her ways. And that's a beautiful trait to have, isn't it? And I think that that's a trait, when I think about it, that's probably synonymous mainly with women. Women are extremely loyal. And you see that time and time again in the record. They are prepared to stand with someone despite the challenges that it might have to their own lives. And we've only got to think about the women in the life of Jesus compared to the men. It was, only, it was often the women, wasn't it? And it certainly was the women in the end who were the most loyal, who stuck with Jesus, even when it was their own circum, their, their own um, that they were going to come across personal trouble as a result of that. They were loyal. And that's what this woman Sarah was to her husband. She was loyal to him and loved him. And you know what? That's what uh, Solomon writes about his own mother, perhaps in Proverbs chapter 31, when he talks about the virtuous woman and he puts down all the beautiful traits in Proverbs chapter 31 of women of God. And he says to them in verse 10, he says in verse 10 of 13 of Proverbs 31, who can find a virtuous woman? Or as the ESV says, an excellent woman. Who can find? For her price 
is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil and so will do him good and not evil all the days of his life. And I'm sure Abraham felt that of his wife, Sarah, particularly when he looked a lot of the time at at his own behaviour and the poor choices he often made. And I'm sure when he looked back at the circumstance in which he put his wife in, he couldn't believe it and he was disappointed because he loved his wife. But nevertheless, his wife was loyal to him and she stood by him. And that's what Sarah was like. And she, they would go through many of these circumstances together. But probably the tougher circumstance or the circumstance that's going to define their life most of all was going to be the fact that Sarah had no child. And if you just look back at Genesis chapter 12, the record opens in the introduction to this woman and defines this very big problem that she had in her life. Verse 30 of Genesis 11 says, But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And God could have just said that she was barren, couldn't she? And we would have got the point. But God emphasises that she had no child because this issue would become for her the defining trial of her life. And we know back then, and we know even now, but particularly back then, the culture of the day, to have children was everything. And if you didn't have children, then you were often ostracised from the community because you didn't have that experience like they did. And she had no kids. And the record of her life, which really covers the 25 years of her life from when she was 20, when she was 65 and first left the land right through to when she's 90 and has this child, Isaac, the record really focuses on that particular time of her life and the struggle that that must have been for her. And you can imagine when she got that call, that was probably one of the things that motivated this this couple to leave Ur and to go to this strange place was that Abraham was promised that he would have a seed. And you see, they couldn't do that. They were unable to have a family. And she had been promised that she would have a seed. But of course, years go by and that promise was not fulfilled that promise was and kept being made that promise to Abraham that he would have this promised seed and he would probably come to her to Sarah and tell her oh, I've received another promise about this seed and the years kept going past and Sarah still had not had a child and again it began to to wear upon her we all have trials don't we brothers and sisters in our lives And all of our trials and circumstances are different. And sometimes we have a trial in our life that is short, that comes in and it's an intense thing that we have to deal with at the time and then it passes. But there are other things that come into our life that stay for much longer and that wear upon us much longer. And sometimes those circumstances go on for years. And they just keep going on and we're hoping and we're praying for a solution to this circumstance or this family problem. 
and the years keep ticking by. And for some of us, brothers and sisters, those trials are trials that last a lifetime. And this was the trial that these, this couple had, this trial of bearing children. And we can see how it wore upon this woman, Sarah, in Genesis chapter 16. In Genesis chapter 16, we know this story about when Sarah starts to get really frustrated about her circumstance. Verse 1 says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, bare him no children. You see how that phrase is written? She bare him no children. And see, Sarah started to feel the responsibility of not being able to produce children for herself. And it must have frustrated her. And so she offers and comes up with this idea that perhaps we can use this Egyptian, Hagar, and that she can be the one by which this promise could come through. Maybe that's what God intended all the way along. And she said that, verse 2, look what she says. And Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing. God has stopped me from having children. And maybe that was never his plan in the, circ- in the first place, she started to think. Maybe I was never the one that God had promised any of this thing to and it was just Abraham and not me. Maybe it's going to be through this woman, Hagar, this Egyptian woman, that God would bring his promise. And the reason why she started to think that way is in verse 3. And Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abraham had dwelt ten years years in the land. You see, it had been 10 years since they'd arrived in the land and probably more since they'd left the land of Ur. And they'd left that land of Ur with such high spirits about the family they were going to have. And they made all that effort and they came all that way. And now 10 years has gone past and there's nothing no sign that there's going to be any children. And see, Sarah couldn't wait any longer. And we know that experience, don't we, of trying to wait for something. And often we do the, th- the same thing, like Sarah does here, and she decides, I need to take things into my own hands and I need to make it happen myself. Maybe that's what God wants me to do. But you see, God always had a set time. He told Abraham that in the next chapter, chapter 17. He said, when the set time comes, you will have a child. But it's hard, isn't it, brothers and sisters, to wait on God's timetable. Because sometimes God's timetable takes a long time. And for 10 years, for us, it seems like an eternity sometimes, particularly if we're trying to deal with a particular problem or circumstance. And we've gone to God in prayer time and time and for his assistance, for his help. And still that trial goes on. And that's the way this woman, Sarah, felt as the years went past. And still she can't bear a child. And so she takes things into her own hands. But see, what we've got to understand, brothers and sisters, is God's timetable is just so much bigger than ours, isn't it? 
Our timetable and time scale and the, the, the years in which we work in are so small compared to God's enormous time scale. And you see, God is working in our lives in lifetimes to bring about the things which he knows he needs to bring about. And so sometimes trials will come in our life that will last for so long. But God may be using those circumstances to grow our own faith or perhaps even grow the faith of others. And so like Sarah, the principle that we need to, and I need to, because it's something I I struggle with, the principle that we need to continually remind ourselves and learn from is the principle of patience, of waiting on God. And, you know, Paul, when he was talking about these two, Abraham and Sarah, in the book of Hebrews, he talks about patience and how much of that is an essential part to our work. He says that by faith, right, which is the thing that God wants to develop in us, by faith and patience, we inherit the promises. Those two things are the things that God is looking for, faith and the ability to wait for it. And Sarah had to learn that lesson of waiting for God. And you see, this whole story was a type, wasn't it, of the future seed that would come. And the principle, really, about that future seed that would come, which would be, of course, Jesus Christ, the promised seed, was that that promised seed, as we'll see on Sunday, would come by a faith, not by man's interference with it or, or human intervention. It would become by faith and holding on to faith. And you see, God uses life circumstances to develop faith and trust in his power. And he's doing it here with this woman, with this couple. He's using the circumstances in their life to build and grow a faith and trust in him. And he does that with us. He uses our circumstances and the places and the trials that we find ourselves in to grow our faith in him and our trust in him and not in ourselves. And you see, that's what God's going to do with these, this couple. He's going to grow this faith. And we see that in these chapters from chapter 17 through to verse to chapter 21. And you know these chapters, chapter 17 and chapter 21 of this story, so much, such a huge part of this story, they all happen in one year. The other couple of chapters from Genesis chapter 12 through to 16 cover those 25 years of them waiting and then 17 to 21 is going to hone in on what happened in that last year in the lead up to the birth of Isaac. And now they'd been 25 years in the land, not just 10. And still Sarah is waiting for that child. And still Abraham is waiting for that child and wondering how on earth these promise him. But you see, God comes to Abraham specifically in chapter, in chapter 17 and he says to him, he, well, sorry, he'd already come to Abraham in chapter 15 and, and Abraham had said to him, oh, maybe, maybe the promises aren't going to come, come by me. Maybe I can use Eliezer and he can be the promised seed. And God had said, no, Abraham. They are kind of come through your body. And then I, um, 
sorry, Sarah had thought, hadn't she, in that previous chapter, that maybe it's just Isaac, it's just Abraham and not me. But God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 and he says that it will be Sarah who through these promises also would come. And he says in verse 15 of chapter 17 to Abraham, And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarah your wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarah, but sorry, Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And then he specifically gives this promise to Sarah. I will bless her and I will give a son also of her. Yes, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations and kings of people shall come from her. So the angel came to Abraham and told Abraham, it's going to be through Sarah. You both are going to be involved in producing this seed. And what's Abraham's reaction to that in chapter 17? And Abraham fell on his face. And he laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born into him that is an hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? Abraham laughed when he was given that information. And it wasn't a laugh of doubt. It was a laugh of absolute joy as he understood maybe for the first time the extent of how this promise was going to be brought about. And he laughed with joy deep down inside his heart as he saw for the first time all of God's plan together. Paul said in Romans chapter 4 of this very moment, No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now he understood that the seed would come through Sarah. And then God sends a message to tell Sarah the same thing. And that, of course, happens in Genesis chapter 18. And the angels specifically are sent as they come and the two and the couple entertains sorry yeah the couple entertains these two strangers unawares initially that they were even angels and they come to deliver this message to Sarah that she was indeed going to despite her doubts bear this child and they come and they say that in verse 9 and they said unto him where is Sarah your wife and he said behold she's in the tent of course they knew that she was, he, she was in the tent because they're angels, they know everything. And they knew that she would be listening as they gave this message. And the angel said, I will certainly return unto you according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, your wife, is going to have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. She was listening very intently. To what the angel said and she heard that angel repeat that promise with her own ears that she was going to have a son and the record tells us this in verse 11 now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age and ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women you see, now, in the circumstance in which she hears this message, 
Not only is she only not only is she only is she barren and cannot produce a child, as she is known for all of those twenty-five years. But now she's grown so old, the record tells us that she doesn't even have the the mechanisms in her body anymore working to produce that child. And we can imagine Sarah in her hope over those years, while she was still able to have that child, thinking that perhaps any day as the years went past, that God was going to make that child grow in her. But now, when she saw her body dead and no longer physically able to produce children, she'd given up all hope that that would happen because now it was humanly impossible and all natural hope had gone that she could bear a child. And because of that going around in her mind, verse 12 says that she laughed within herself. She laughed. She didn't even laugh out loud. But when she heard that message, she laughed within herself. And we can imagine her doing that, can't we? And it was a different laugh to what Abraham laughed. It was a laugh of unbelief as a result of what she knew the condition of her own body was. And the key word in that verse is she laughed within herself because she now when she looked at her dead body, she thought, how could God work with me in this circumstance? And it was almost a feeling of inadequacy when she heard that message and just laughed that how could that be possible in me? How could God work this miracle in me? And it wasn't, brothers and sisters, I believe believe that she didn't believe and still trust in God. But sometimes I think it's easier for us to believe that God can work in the lives of others and even in, at a macro level, he can work in, the, in, the, in his purpose to fulfil it in all the world. But it can become harder, and perhaps hardest of all, to believe that God is working in my life or in your life, in the intricacies of our problems, that God can solve my problem. That God is able to help me with my children and the struggles that I face with my children every day. And how can God take away my tears and my anguish that I have to deal with on a daily basis? That can become a whole lot more difficult. But you see, that's an important part of faith. Faith is about believing that God can work with us. That's what Paul said in Hebrews 11. He says that we need to believe that God is, that he exists, that, that we believe that he is this all-powerful God. But then he says we need to believe also that he is a rewarder of me, myself, if I diligently seek him. And that's what Sarah had to come to believe that God could work in her. And you can see her anguish at the end of that verse when she says, at this, she says, um, sorry, in the end of verse 12, and Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have waxed old, shall I have pleasure and my Lord also? 
Is God really going to give me this pleasure? And you can see in those words, it's, a, it's such a sad uh, end to that verse because you can see in those, those words that Sarah had already given up hope of that happening, of that pleasure ever coming into her life. And she almost stopped opening her heart to the possibility of that because she didn't want to be disappointed by it. She didn't want to be let go again. And she thought, I don't want to open my heart to the possibility that maybe I'll have a child again when it might not happen. You see, she limited God and his ability. And sometimes I believe, brothers and sisters, we can limit what God is able to achieve in our lives. But the angel moves to tell her that anything is possible with God if you believe in him. Anything is possible. Anything is possible in our own lives, in the problems that we face. Anything is possible in what God can do with our family and with our children, in bringing our children back. Anything is possible, says the angel, if you can only believe. And you see... Sarah needed to develop that confidence in God, as we all do, to understand that he cared for her personally and that he was interested in her welfare and had the power to do anything to change things in her life. That's what she needed to learn. God moves to teach in this final episode in her life in chapter 20. Chapter 18 and chapter 19, we have the destruction of Sodom. And that would have been terrible for Abraham and Sarah, wouldn't it? That destruction, because their own family was involved in that. And it was only Lot and a couple of his daughters. And they probably didn't even know at that time that they had been saved. And there was all this probably aftermath of what happened. And as a result of that, Chapter 20 says that Abraham moved with his wife and they said, we need to get out of here. And they went south again. And we know that they had trouble when they went south the first time. And Abraham does the same thing. He falls into the same mistake again. And he says to his, his wife, um, verse 2, and he says to Sarah, his wife, she she is my sister, and she ha he has this plan all over again to call her sister to protect himself and to protect his wife. And we think, how on earth could Abraham make that same stupid mistake again? How could he be so stupid, so foolish to fall into that same trap? But I suppose the first thing is that it was 25 years later. And the other thing is, is that he had a character flaw which made him do that. And so he was susceptible to this mistake. And aren't we all the same? Don't you make the same mistake over and over again, despite your best intentions? And sometimes you make the same mistake over years and over 10 years or 15 years or 20 years or even 25 years, you may make the same repeated mistake and so Abraham does here as well. And he asks his wife that she'll call, if she'll call her, her, him his brother and her his sister. And you see, Sarah was involved this time as well. Look what it says down in verse 5. Abimelech says when he's called by God to attention in this matter, he said, she said unto me, she is my sister. And she, even she herself said it. 
So Sarah lied this time as well. And you see, she's at a low ebb in her life when she makes this mistake with her husband Abraham. With all that's happened in Sodom and all the challenges of her own circumstances in life in waiting for a child. But see what God does in this circumstance. And I think it's absolutely beautiful what God does in verse 6. It says, And God said unto him, Sorry, God moved, didn't he, to protect again this couple. And look how much he protects them in verse 6 and 7. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I have withheld thee from sinning against me, therefore I have suffered thee not to touch her. You see, God was extremely protective of this woman and, of course, Abraham as well. But she, she protects Sarah in this moment. And that's what God's like, isn't he? We are part of his family. And God will move to protect us in any circumstance we find ourselves in. We're reminded of that verse in the Psalms, Psalms 34, which says, The angel of Yahweh encamps around those who fear him, and he will deliver them. And God does that even in our mistakes, even in our terrible errors, our misjudgments. When we fall into sin, and it's our own problem, we've got ourselves into this circumstance by our own means. And you see, if it was us, we would say, well, it's, it's up to you to fix your own problem. You got yourself in that mess, but that's not what God's like. And he shows that in this story. And he shows that particularly to this woman, Sarah. He moves to protect her. And he tells that man, Abimelech, even though he had acted in honesty and integrity, and if you held up his behaviour in this chapter, it's far above what the, the behaviour of Sarah and Abraham is. But God moves to protect his family. like. He loves and protects his family. And Abraham is forced to explain his behaviour. And it was an awkward explanation that he had to give. And Abraham and Sarah were both there watching as this man Abimelech explained what happened. How amazingly he'd received this dream by God. And God had said, if you touch that woman, you and all your house are going to die. And you imagine Sarah listening to that conversation and that amazing miracle that happened and he kept mentioning in that story as he mentioned that dream over and over again that this God who was prepared to do anything was doing it for her, to protect her. And I think at that moment, for the first time, Sarah started to understand that she was seen of God and that God had moved to protect her. And then Abraham is asked to make this awkward prayer, isn't he, to save this man Abimelech. And it would have been an awkward prayer because he knew that his behaviour had been terrible. And that if you weighed his behaviour compared to Abimelech's, Abimelech should have been one, the one that was giving the prayer. But of course, Abimelech didn't have a relationship with God. And Abraham did. 
and he makes this prayer before Sarah and before all of those people that were standing there. And you think about what Sarah would have learnt from this prayer as she watched her husband give it in the humility of this circumstance. He says at the end of verse 20, in verse 17, and so Abraham prayed unto God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants and they bear children. And Yahweh had fast closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And Sarah was watching that. And she was witnessing what had happened in that house. And she saw that not only was this all-powerful God who she'd been trying to learn and come to know and have faith in, in her life, not only had she realised that he cared for her intimately, but now he, she started to understand the power that he had and what he could do and what was that power, what was the power that he just did in that household. He was able to unlock wombs and close wombs whenever he wanted to. Such was his power. Such was the ability of this God. And all of a sudden it was like a light bulb moment that went off in this woman's mind. And she understood now for the first time as she watched her husband made this prayer, she understood the enormity of the God which she had come to worship and he cared for her. And he knew about her and about her problems, and about her issues. And he was able to do something about it because he was a God that could open wombs. And it was via prayer from her husband that those wombs were unlocked and if God could do it for them, Gentile people who had no relationship with them, then God can do it for me. And so she started to believe in God. And Paul puts it beautifully in Hebrews 11 when he describes the moment in which this woman was brought to in her belief when he says this, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. And the key word again in that verse is herself. She came to believe that God could move things in her own life. And so she believed. And look at the circumstance by which God brought that about. God is amazing. He brought it about through a disastrous, terrible mistake and trouble that they had brought upon themselves. And God used that terrible mistake and circumstance to weave a pathway to belief and faith. Can God do everything, brothers and sisters? Yes, yes, he can. Is anything too hard for our God in our life in your life and in my life? No, there's not. There's nothing. 
And if there's something that we want of our God, Sarah teaches us to call upon him and ask him continually to help. And you imagine that night, I can imagine that night, after they got out of that situation and they went back to their tent, you imagine that night the prayer that those two, that beautiful couple prayed. They would have got down on their knees and Sarah perhaps believing more than she'd ever believed before. And together they prayed for a child and God delivered that child for them. Because they came to believe. And that beautiful child is born. And we read of Sarah, the joy that she felt after waiting so long for that to come. And she says in verse 6, sorry, I feel a bit awkward. It's just me and Alistair in the hall and I'm getting all emotional. Verse 6 it says, and Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. Imagine that laugh and that joy for that couple as they looked into the eyes of that beautiful baby. After 25 years of struggle and of trial, God had delivered them and God had rewarded their faith with a child. And Sarah becomes just like Abraham is the father of the faithful. Sarah becomes the mother of the faithful. And our title for tonight was that Sarah is called the matriarch. And a matriarch means the head, the woman, the, the mother that's the head of the family, that defines the family, that gives the family what they stand for. And in this moment, that's what Sarah does. And it wasn't going to be for her natural family because some of them wouldn't hold to those principles. But from her would come a spiritual family. Like her husband Abraham, who became the father of the faithful, there would be a spiritual family that would come from her. And they would be people like brothers and sisters, you and me, who follow in the same footsteps of her faith, who learn to trust and grow in faith with her God. All of those and all of us are her family. And she, like Abraham, was that prototype of developing faith. And she showed us tonight how to do it. And I hope that we've been able to take some lessons from her journey tonight. And I'll leave you with three things for us to ponder about faith and about her journey of faith and how that can translate to our own life. Number one, we learnt from this woman and her, her husband that faith is a journey to be embarked on together with companions who can help us on the way. And God designed it that way. He gave us our, hus our husbands and our wives, our families and our brothers and sisters in the ecclesia to help us to grow in faith. Number two, we've learnt that Faith is a process that takes patience and time to develop through the various circumstances and experiences we have in life. And all of our circumstances and experiences will be different, but our amazing God 
is able to use those circumstances to develop and grow faith in us. But it will take time and it needs patience and perseverance, as Sarah has showed us. Faith must finally become personal. And we must understand that, that in our faith that God is working in my life and in the life of my family and our families. And he sees your struggle and knows your situation. And we have to learn in that to cling to him and learn to trust in him, knowing that what he's trying to do for all of us is ultimately unite us back together with him. We hope and pray in the near future. Three powerful lessons that hopefully we've learnt from this woman, Sarah. And hopefully we'll continue to learn from some of the other women that we contemplate over the course of the next couple of days. So that's all I've got for you. Um, hopefully.